Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, let's try that one more time. Good morning, everyone. I know, I know it's, well, it's 11.15. I can't say it's early uh, still, but I know how Sunday mornings can be. So good to see everyone this morning. And uh, just to add my greetings uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, to everyone else who has greeted you already this morning. Uh, before we look at our passage today, I wanted to give you all just a quick personal Wigline family update. We've asked you all to be praying for us, and we know many of you have been praying for us uh, regarding the adoption of our youngest child, James. We got word this week that it has all gone through. It's all official, uh, and so we can celebrate uh, that he is officially our child now, which sounds strange to say, but we're really excited about that. So thank you. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for joining us in prayer, and we give thanks to God uh, for his faithfulness through this whole process. And so uh, we are continuing in Philippians today, as Phil said, but uh, we are going to be taking a break after this morning, and we're going to be having some guest preachers over the next several Sundays. We'll come back to Philippians uh, in about a month, and I'm going to be going to uh, get James uh, in just a couple weeks, and so I'll be gone for a few weeks uh, while we bring him back uh, here to Prague. And I promise you will know when he is here on Sunday mornings. He has a contagious joy, and so you will, you will know when he's here. So we're excited about that, and thank you for praying with us. So our passage this morning is, uh, comes from Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at uh, verse 15 through chapter 4, verse 1, if you'd like to follow along with me and uh, hear with me the word of the Lord. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently... Well, that too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have seen us, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks once again for your word, which you have authored by your Holy Spirit, and which you have given to us to reveal yourself to us, to guide us through this life as we seek to follow you. And we pray this morning once again that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive whatever you want to say to us today, both as individuals and as a church. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So Paul covers a lot of big themes in this passage that we just read, and we're going to try and cover all of those to some degree, or at least the big ones here. And we've covered a lot of ground in Philippians over the last month already. And as we've gone through it, we've started to, at least I hope, we started to see the Apostle Paul's priorities and his emphases as he's been teaching the Philippians, the things that he really wants this church to take away from this letter. 
And he's been teaching them about what it means to be able to say, to live is Christ. It's something that Paul says in Philippians. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And we've talked about how we can sort of say that for ourselves or learn to say that for ourselves. One of the purposes that Paul has is in writing to the Philippians is to form them and to shape them as followers of Jesus Christ, as, as Jesus Christ's disciples. And so Paul puts Jesus Christ right in the very center of this letter, pointing people to him. And if you read through Philippians yourselves, then you might be struck by just how many times we see the name of Jesus mentioned in the book. Even by New Testament standards, it is a lot. Paul talks about Jesus and Jesus Christ and Christ over and over and over again. He is all over this letter. And right in the center, right in the middle of the letter, is the passage that we keep pointing back to, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, which really highlights the person and work of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. And at the center of that passage is the cross, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And last week we looked at a passage where Paul says, I want to know this person. I want to know Jesus Christ. That is the greatest end or goal for Paul, to come to know Jesus Christ in a deep and intimate way. And Paul even says that he wants to know the cross of Jesus Christ, to somehow share in Christ's sufferings and death in this life so that he can also share in his resurrection, that he can share in this new life in Jesus Christ that is promised to us. And this is what Paul wants for the Philippians too, more than anything else, that they might come to know Christ and share in his sufferings and in his cross so they might also share in his resurrection. And this is the promise of the gospel for each one of us, that we can know Christ in this way too, in this deep and intimate way that Paul is talking about. We can really know him. We can really know Jesus Christ and through him, we can also come to know God's great love for us and the forgiveness of sins that has been given to us through his son. So this is the central message of, of Paul's letter that we've been looking at. But Paul is also appealing to them as the church. And he wants this good news about Jesus Christ to spread through them so that others might come to know Jesus Christ as well. Paul wants to see people who are far from God come near to him in Jesus Christ in the same way that they have. And so Paul calls this church to unity. He says, you be united for the sake of the gospel. And he also encourages them to stay strong in their faith, to be steadfast, to, to stand firm which we see here in our passage, chapter four, verse one. Stand firm in the Lord. Paul knows that the life of faith can be hard, and he knows that people grow discouraged, that people have doubts, that they face challenges as they try to, to live faithfully to God, and we don't always feel strong, and we need encouragement sometimes. And this is part of, of one of the gifts of, excuse me, this is one of the gifts of being a part of the body of Christ, of being a part of the church, is that we encourage one another, and we pray for one another, and we bear one another's burdens. We can speak God's word of grace to each other and forgiveness to each other. And sometimes we can be strong for our brothers and sisters in Christ when they aren't. 
And sometimes we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to be strong for us when we aren't. And so Paul is writing to this church to encourage them in all of these ways, to be steadfast in your faith. And as we've said before, Paul also recognizes that they have a communal witness, that there's something about the way they live together as Christians, as the church, uh, that is part of, what, uh, a part of their witness to other people, to the world around them. That people are going to know Christ through them and the way that they live with each other. And so that's why he's encouraging them to stay strong. This is the focus of his passage today, encouraging them to stay strong, to remain steadfast for the sake of the gospel and for their communal witness. And the way that Paul does it in this passage today is by appealing to their citizenship. Paul appeals to their citizenship. And this is something that we see Paul do a lot. He reminds people of their identity in Christ who they are in Christ, and then he calls them to live into that identity. We live in a time where there is a lot of talk about identity, and there's a big emphasis that is placed a lot of times on finding our true selves, that this is the highest good in life, to find your true self and who you really are. What is your identity? And often what people mean when they talk about that is is looking inside of yourself, to find your own truth. And the message that comes from that is that somehow our real identity, our true identity, is found independent of any external relationships or boundaries that only we can say for ourselves who we truly are. And while it's good to know ourselves, the Bible wants to give us a corrective to this view in saying that Our true identity is actually found externally. And primarily, it's defined by our relationship with God. And we can't know who we truly are until we look to God first and our relationship with him. And we actually find it more and more as we live in the body of Christ, in community with one another. We don't find our true identity primarily by looking inward but by first looking up to God and finding our identity in him. And so Paul calls us to live into our identity. And he's used lots of different phrases uh, to, to talk about what that looks like. We've seen a couple already in Philippians. At the very beginning, he writes saying that this letter is to all of God's holy people, that that's one of our identities in Christ, that we are actually saints, We are considered God's holy people in Christ, and that is part of our identity that we can claim. Paul puts it here. He also talks about us being children of God, that we are sons and daughters of our heavenly Father, and that's a primary part of our identity, who we are in Jesus Christ. But here, Paul takes a little bit of a different angle, and he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is is in heaven. We see that in verse 20. And this is uh, one way for us to think about our identity in Jesus Christ, a sort of different way, that we are citizens of heaven. This appeal to their citizenship is not just Paul being creative here, trying to find some new way to talk about their identity in Christ, to make them think about it differently. It's, It's strategic on Paul's part, because he's taking a concept that was important to many people who lived in Philippi, their citizenship, and then he is reframing it for them. 
He's saying, you think of yourself this way, but I think you need to think of yourself this other way first. You may remember in our first sermon on Philippians that we talked about some of the background of this letter. And one of the significant things about the city of Philippi was that it is a Roman colony, a part of the Roman Empire. It's a Roman military colony. This was a status that had been bestowed upon it by the first Roman emperor, Augustus Caesar, uh, which gave many people who lived there citizenship in the Roman Empire. And having citizenship in the Roman Empire was a privileged position to hold. It was something that people valued very highly because it gave you rights and protections and privileges that not everybody else living in the Roman Empire had. We may think of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. And we see that when Paul is arrested and he's put on trial, he is a Roman citizen. And so he is able to appeal to have his trial in Rome because of that. This is one of the the privileges and protections that he had. And it provided all sorts of of, uh, protections for people and rights to be a Roman citizen. And so they took great pride in their identity as citizens of Rome in Philippi. And they would live into that identity. There was a strong sense of loyalty to the Roman Empire in that place amongst those citizens. And people would have sought to have lived as Romans, even though they were actually residing in a distant outpost in the north of Greece. And so they would have brought their language and their traditions, their culture and their customs with them. And their loyalty would have also been to the Roman emperor himself, whoever was the emperor at the time, because he was the one who gave them this citizenship. And the Roman emperor at the time was commonly referred to as savior and Lord. These were two words that were often used to refer to him. And Paul's point isn't to say that they aren't citizens of Rome or to negate that in some way, to say that that shouldn't mean anything to them, that they can't value it. But as always, he's reminding them of the primary things, what is most important. Paul wants to remind them of their primary love, their primary loyalty and allegiance, their primary citizenship. These are the higher callings for them as the followers of Jesus Christ. And so as Paul exhorts the church there to stand firm in their faith, to continue living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, he does it by saying, your citizenship is in heaven. And so live as if that's true. Live as if that's true. This is an interesting idea that Paul is playing with here, that as followers of Christ, in some way we all live as exiles and foreigners in this world, no matter where we reside It's an idea that that draws on the Israelites' experience of exile in Babylon that we see in the Old Testament. And they were struggling to hold on to their identity as God's people, even as they were living in a foreign land, in a place that worshipped foreign gods. And God gave them these instructions through the prophet Jeremiah about faithful living in a foreign place. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, Jeremiah says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. 
Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. In other words, what God is saying to the Israelites there is it's okay to know that your citizenship is elsewhere, that you belong elsewhere, and to long for return to that place. But embrace life in the place where I have sent you, wherever that is. Live there, work there, contribute to its prosperity, pray for it. And this idea is picked up on by Paul and other New Testament writers to talk about how we should live as followers of Christ in this world. That we are called to stay faithful to God, to remember our identity in Christ, that our citizenship is in heaven, but also to embrace life wherever God has called us to be, wherever we live in that particular time. This is an idea that I imagine would resonate with this church, with the International Church of Prague on some level. Not for all of us. I know we have a lot of native Czechs who are here, and, and which is so good for our church. But for many of us, we are living in one place, and yet our citizenship is elsewhere. And even though we are living in Prague for however long, we retain our identity as citizens of the nation that we have come from, our home country. For many of us, our passports were issued by a foreign government. For some of us, our relationship with our home country might be uh, complicated for whatever reason, but often we take great pride in where we come from. We continue to speak our native language whenever we can. We find places that serve food that we are comfortable with, or we make it ourselves if we can't find a place that does it. I, I know I was very concerned about whether I would find a good cheeseburger in Prague, and I have been very pleased to find there are many places <laughs> where I can find a good cheeseburger in Prague because I take pride in where I am from, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing. We continue to observe customs and holidays and watch the sports that we like, even as we live in a foreign place. Some of us may be pursuing citizenship here in Czechia or have dual citizenship. Whatever our unique situation is, though, where we are from is a part of our identity. Where we have our citizenship is a part of our identity. And we can't help but bring those things with us in some way. What we value, what our priorities are, even the lens through which we see the whole world is going to be formed by where we're from and where we grew up and where our citizenship is. But we also live elsewhere. And we engage, we're called to engage, with, to, uh, excuse me, to engage with wherever we are, wherever we live, living faithfully and bearing fruit for the gospel. We also can't help but be influenced by where we live in some way. And the longer that we live in a place, the more we're going to be influenced by it. It's going to mold and shape us as well. And there's often a tension between these two things. But we are called as Christians to embrace life wherever God has placed us and to live and to work for the prosperity of that place and to pray for it. Paul's message to us today would be the same as it was to the Philippians. No matter where your passport is from, no matter where you are currently living, regardless of what citizenship or nationality or ethnicity that you claim for yourself, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then your primary citizenship is in heaven. And that should be reflected in how we live our lives. What we do, what we value and prioritize 
The lens through which we see the world as Christians is meant to be formed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our ultimate loyalty is to the ruler from there, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how we're called to live as Christians. So this begs the question, what does this look like? I remember talking with a friend about this idea one time uh, when I was in seminary about what does this mean to live as citizens of heaven in this world? They said, it's an interesting idea. I like the idea that we're citizens of heaven, but we do still have to live here. And on one level, we might say it's as simple as just being obedient, being faithful to God's word as we go through this life, and that's great. But Paul gives us a different sense of how we can learn to do this from our passage. Paul offers himself as a trustworthy guide. He's a good example to follow. In verse 17, Paul says this, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I've often heard what Paul is saying here, paraphrased as, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And what Paul is speaking to here is the importance of discipleship in the Christian life. And discipleship here doesn't just mean a sort of general following Jesus idea. We're talking more about something that happens within the body of Christ, where people who are older and wiser and more mature in the faith invest in those who are less so. They disciple them. And this goes deeper than what we think of as just a student and teacher relationship today. Back then, they might have thought about it more in an apprenticeship sort of way. And nowadays, we may talk about it more in the idea of mentorship, but a loving sort of mentorship. Teaching has always been a part of these kinds of relationships, but it's been more of a teaching by example rather than just imparting knowledge. And there's always been a living life together piece to it. Come and be a part of my life. Let's do this together. Follow me. The best picture that we get of this is Jesus himself with his disciples. Jesus kept going to these different people and saying, follow me. And they did. And they would follow Jesus and they would live life together with him. And much of what they gained and learned along the way came simply from spending time with him. Watching him interact with others, interacting with them himself. They were living life together. And through this, Jesus discipled them. And this is a pattern that we have seen reproduced in the church throughout its history. We even see it spelled out or instructed in scripture in different ways, where older believers are to set an example for younger ones. And then younger believers are to respect the older ones and to follow their example. And through this, the faith gets passed down generation to generation. This is another example of the importance of the body of Christ and why we need one another. I remember reading a pastor named Earl Palmer's book on Philippians, and he said this about it. We can study theology in isolation from others, but we can't grow in grace by ourselves. We can study theology in isolation from others, but we can't grow in grace by ourselves. In other words, if we just want to know about Jesus, we can do that on our own. But if we really want to experience life and fellowship with him, well, that's something that we need each other for. 
I know for myself that I've greatly benefited from the people who have invested in me over the years, people who have set the example for me of what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. I think of people like my parents and my grandparents or or youth leaders and Sunday school teachers, pastors and, and other mentors and friends along the way, people who demonstrated for me in their own imperfect ways that to live is Christ people who allowed me into their life in ways that were really important for me, even to see the ways that they failed and messed up and how they responded to that in gracious ways, receiving God's grace. I've learned much from having mentors in the faith. This was the best way that I learned how to live as a citizen of heaven while still being here to whatever degree I've learned it. I knew the rules and that's important. But more important to me was seeing people live out their faith in the messiness of real life, day in and day out. And that's what this kind of life-on-life discipleship will do for us. Paul understands that we are influenced and shaped by the people that we spend time with, the people that we look up to and that we listen to. And so what he's saying here is if you are going to follow someone's example, follow mine because I'm following Christ. Now, I've always thought that this was a little bit presumptuous on Paul's part. There's a a certain audacity in saying to someone, hey, everyone, I'm doing this right, so follow me. (laughs) I've got this discipleship thing figured out, and you're going to be fine if you just follow my example. But what we see is actually that this is the nature of Paul's relationship with this church in Philippi. They do look up to him in the faith, and they are looking for examples to follow. And so when Paul is saying this, what he's really trying to do is to acknowledge and to honor that reality, knowing that these people look to him as a pastor and as a wise mentor in the faith. And Paul has proved himself in many ways through how he's lived his life. And Paul also holds out for the Philippians, Timothy and Epaphroditus. We skipped over them last week. I said we'd come back to them uh, this week. But Paul says, look, it's not just me, but it's Timothy, it's Epaphroditus. Look for others who their lives match up with ours as well. These two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they've been discipled by Paul. They've worked alongside him in ministry, and he often sends them places when he can't go himself. This is the case with Epaphroditus in this very example. He's the one who has brought this letter to the church in Philippi. And Paul sends them to take news, to bring news back to them, to him. But he really does this to encourage the church when he can't be there himself. Paul says of Timothy that he will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. And he holds up Epaphroditus as someone who is willing to put himself, his very life at risk, for the work of Christ. And he says that he longs for all of you. Both of these men have shown their commitment to Christ and that they truly care about God's people. And in some way, their lives demonstrate what it means to live as citizens of heaven. And so Paul says, you can look to them And you can follow their example as well. There's always a risk in holding up other people as examples to follow because other than Jesus himself, you're always going to be dealing with someone who isn't perfect, someone who is a sinner, someone who is going to fail at some point and in some way. They will sin. 
So in fairness to them and to yourself, it's always good to keep that in mind. As human beings, we are quick to make idols. Idols of things, idols of other people. And sometimes our mentors in the faith can become objects of worship instead of examples to follow. And so if our vision stops with them rather than looking beyond them to Christ, then we will get in trouble. So these are always good questions to ask. Is this person pointing me beyond themselves to Jesus Christ? Am I looking beyond this person to Jesus Christ as my ultimate example in the faith? Follow me as I follow Christ. When we're talking about discipleship, that second part of the phrase is key. As I follow Christ myself. Don't follow someone if they're not leading you to the right place. Don't follow someone if they're not leading you to the right place. And this is a point that Paul is making here as well. He says, follow me, follow Timothy, follow Epaphroditus, follow those who pattern their lives after us. We are all pursuing Christ. But there are others who are not. There are other people that you could follow who will lead you away from him, who live as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Just as there are those whose example we should follow, there are also those whose example that we should avoid. Paul says, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Their destination is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. What Paul is saying here has echoes of Romans chapter 8, where he says that those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And Paul is saying that there are two ways of being in this world. Our minds can be controlled by the sinful nature or the flesh, or they can be controlled by the Spirit of God. And we can share in Christ's sufferings, or we can obey our stomachs. <laughs> this is such a great image, I think. Their God is their stomach. It's such a vivid description of life according to the flesh. Paul is talking about people who indulge their appetites. There has, uh, have been many times that I have obeyed my stomach. I just have to confess to you all that I have been ruled by it. Uh, earlier this week, Alex took me to a bakery here in town, and he saw this uh, play out in real time where I bought everything that looked good in that bakery, right? I was obeying my stomach. So much of our culture tells us that this is a good thing. Why not give ourselves what we want? If you want it, it's okay. Give it to yourself. It's, it's good for you. Walk down Wenceslas Square and you will get an idea of this. There are any number of places and people who are very happy to profit off of you indulging your appetites, whatever your appetite may be. We work hard. We've earned it. We deserve it. Why not? I remember when I was a child growing up in the United States, uh, the fast food chain McDonald's had an ad campaign that said, you deserve a break today. You deserve a break today. And you hear that and you think, yeah, I do deserve a break today. <laughs> I will go to McDonald's and I will indulge my appetites. 
If you hear in that and often enough, you start to believe the lies. You start to believe that actually indulging your appetites is what is going to make you happy, is what is going to satisfy you. And the more we do it, the more it is easy to keep on doing it. If I buy a donut with my coffee today, it's going to be much easier for me to do it again tomorrow. And then again, the next day and the next day. Now, this is not an argument for never having a dessert again. That's not my point. And there are many appetites that are, are ones that we should uh, be very careful or much more serious about indulging. I'm trying to use that as a silly example for what we do when we indulge our appetites, when we follow our desires into sin. The real problem is what are our minds and our hearts set on? What is it that we are worshiping? Have we made idols of things without even realizing it? Have we indulged our appetites to the point that we are ruled by them, that our stomach has become our God? The problem with idols is that they often seem fairly harmless at first, maybe even like they are good for us, but then we end up serving them rather than God. We worship our stomachs. We serve our desires. And if we continually choose self-indulgence over following Christ, it never brings the fulfillment that we think it will. It actually becomes less and less satisfying even as we indulge ourselves more and more and more. And only in following Christ do we find life and peace. All other roads lead to destruction and death. That's what Paul is saying here. And this is why it is so important for us to pay attention to whose example we follow. Because there are those who are happy to lead us down this path away from Christ. Telling us the whole time that this is what is good for us. That this is actually what is right. These are the people that Paul describes as enemies of the cross of Christ. Who are living according to the flesh. But here's where Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And our hearts and minds are set there on what the Spirit desires. So follow those who live that way and who would lead you to Jesus Christ and to pursue that life as well. Friends, a question that comes from this passage for us is whose example are you following? Whose example are you following? There are any number of voices out there in this world who are trying to influence us, who are trying to get our attention and say, listen to me, I'm the one who knows the truth, I'm going to lead you down the right path. And the question we have to ask ourselves is where are they leading you? Which path are they taking you down? Are they trustworthy guides in this life? Are they leading you in the path of self-indulgence that leads to destruction, or do they in some way or another say, follow me as I follow Christ, or let's follow Christ together? I would say young people here today, if you consider yourself a young person, I know the older I get, the more I know how relative that is, but if you consider yourself a young person or young in the faith, then I would encourage you to find someone, to have someone like this in your life who will love you, who will invest in you, who will say, come and let's follow Christ together, who reflects the love and grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the joy of the Lord, whose example you can follow and trust them to lead you in the right way. Do it with discernment, of course, but it will serve you well to find people that you can follow in the Lord. 
And if you were someone who is wiser and more mature in your faith, and most people say, I'm not that person, I am not wise and mature, and I appreciate the humility, (laughs) but it's okay to acknowledge that about yourselves. If you were someone who is wise and mature in the faith, who has been walking with the Lord for a long time, then look for ways to invest in younger people like this, to take an interest in them and to say, let's follow Christ together. Walk with me. Come with me. Let's walk down this road of discipleship together. This is already happening at ICP in lots of ways, which is a beautiful thing to witness. And God is using it in these relationships to grow people in their faith and even to spread the good news beyond these walls. It's a great thing to watch. But for all of us, we can look for those whose example we want to follow. And we can look for ways to be an example to others, always pointing beyond ourselves to Jesus Christ which is exactly how Paul ends our passage today, pointing us once again to Christ. He says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And therefore stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends, Paul keeps putting out this hope in front of us, saying that life can be hard now, you have struggles now, you're facing opposition now, but look ahead to what is in front of you because things will not always be this way. Because Jesus Christ, our true Lord and our true Savior, the one who died and was raised to new life and who now reigns over all is going to return and to restore all things to the way that they should be. Even our very bodies will be changed. And because this is true, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Set your minds on the things of God, not on earthly things, and live as citizens of heaven, because that is what you are. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us the gift of discernment, that you would help us to see those whose example we might follow, who would lead us to you and before your throne of grace. Lord, we also pray that you would help us to be good example for others, that people might look to us as we follow you and we could say, let's follow Christ together. We pray that we would live into our identity as citizens of heaven, as we live in this world. Give us the strength to do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.